He showed up, man. Isn't that great news this morning on Easter Sunday? Um, y'all doing all right? Y'all good? Listen, this is our third one today, man. We got to get it, get it on, all right? 8.30, like took all of our coffee. We had to brew some more, but it is so good to see you. I know Easter weekend brings a lot of craziness, a.k.a. family. And, um, and so I know you probably have lunch after today or whatever the case may be. And uh, maybe you have pictures with an oversized bunny who happens to lay multicolored eggs filled with candy. I'm not really sure, but um, sounds like an appropriate way to celebrate Easter. But uh, we're so glad that you and your family decided to be here at Upstate Church Five Forks. If we haven't met, my name is Dustin Dozier. I'm the campus pastor here and have the joy and honor to lead this place. And if you don't know a lot about us, we are one church with multiple locations. So uh, obviously this is the Five Forks campus, but we have a campus, um, our Harrison Bridge campus. We also have one, uh, First Baptist Simpsonville, downtown Simpsonville campus. Coming August, we have one that is launching in Anderson and then another one in Malden. So God is just doing amazing things in and um, uh, with our church. And I have a biased opinion, but uh, man, it's just amazing to see God at work. And I know um, for some of you, this might be your very first time here. I uh, hope that you have a great Easter experience, just an uh, uh, overall experience um, that's really well and good. And because um, I know, like, I didn't grow up in church. So when you walk into a place, maybe for the first time, uh, first of all, it's already overwhelming um, and, and you just don't know what's going on. But maybe you were in church a long time ago and just kind of have some preconceived notions of what church is like. I know I didn't grow up in church. And so when I first stepped foot, um, and, and the doors of a church, uh, I came because there was pizza and a good-looking girl and that I wanted to know. And I really kind of thought um, from some experiences in, the, in my past and what I saw on TV, church was going to be full of just like cheesy worship music and a preacher who just yells for an hour and tells you you need to give all your money or else you're going to hell. Um, uh, you know, that is not this place. And I hope that today you have an experience that just blows all of that stuff out of the water. And um, because we're just a place that really believes and tries to live what we celebrate today in a living God. And we're a place of broken people, real people. We don't have, none of us have it together. And we're just trying to walk through, uh, on the, walk through life on this journey for Jesus and uh, live for him. And so we're thankful that you're here. Hopefully um, this isn't um, your last time coming. We'd love to see you next Sunday um, and all that good stuff. But um, I just know, I know there's a lot of preconceived notions when you walk into the place. So thank you all so much for uh, being here. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 20. It'll also be on the screen in a little bit. But before we get there, and while you're turning there, I think what's so important is um, as we look and we saw this video of how God showed up in the lives of people um, at all of our campuses, that God is still working. He is alive and active in such a way that he's showing up in our life. And um, and that looks different for all of us. And maybe you feel like just being real, like you're like, hey, I'm just here because my family drugged me here. I got invited. It kind of seems like the Southern thing to do. And, or maybe you've been like locked up for a, a little over a year and you're like, I need to get out and you, you're coming, okay? And so we're thankful that you're here. But with all this, we, we have experienced a lot of adjustments and just different things in the last year or so. And that affects the church too. And I think a lot of times um, in our culture that 
the church in, in some ways um, will, can, can lose sight of what's most important. And so often churches do become about, hey, give all your money or we do this or we do that. And as a church, I want you to know we want to be firmly planted on what Scripture says and make the most important thing the most important thing. And that's Jesus. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's reminding the church in a city called Corinth, he's reminding them of this. Now, Paul is this guy that, as you see in Scripture, he was a savage Christian killer. But that's what he did. That was his job, was to go around and to kill Christians. Aren't you glad that we don't live in that world right now, okay? Maybe there's other countries in our world that that is a reality. But thankfully here in America, that's not a reality for us. But Paul was going around as a Christian headhunter, if you will, and killing husbands and killing wives and kids and separating, just destroying families if they claim to follow Jesus. And so he was doing this, and one day, this is after Jesus was crucified, and was buried, Paul's on his way on this road um, to Damascus, really to arrest or kill other Christians. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in his life. And when he least expects it, and I mean, really, he's like the least of the people you would think Jesus would show up for, and radically changes Paul's life. And in that moment, changes his life in such a way that he begins this, this new journey, this new passion. And what's so crazy is that if you look into the Bible, uh, over half of the New Testament is written by this guy named Paul. He becomes the very first, uh, really, missionary to travel and journey through ancient Europe and begin to start churches. And he's telling them, hey, let me tell you what I have experienced. Let me tell you what I've encountered. This guy named Jesus showed up, and this is who he was. This is who I was. My life has changed. He changed my life. And he begins to preach this to the churches, and he's establishing all these churches. Well, I thought this would be an appropriate passage because in the, uh, in the city of Corinth, Paul started this church. He was there for about 18 months with some friends. He leaves, and what ends up happening to this church is that it really kind of starts to get swallowed up by the culture. The people of the church, they kind of, they're not making what's most important most important, and they're letting the culture kind of speak into them and, and kind of start, they start to believe in other gods. And, and Corinth was a very educated, well-knowledgeable city that had a lot of influence from Greece. And so it kind of pride itself on itself, and so this started to happen, and Paul gets wind of it, and is like, whoa, 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 that's not, what, that's not what this whole thing is supposed to be about. So he writes a letter that we know is 1 Corinthians, but he writes this letter to the church of Corinth, and I love this, and I think this sets up where we're going this morning. And this is in 1 Corinthians 15. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but this is what Paul writes in this letter. He says, now I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And so what Paul's saying, hey, let me remind you of what I preached to you, what you stood for, what you believed in, what you said. This is, this is what's saving me is this message. And Paul then unpacks what that message is. He says, for I delivered to you as first importance 
what I also receive. So he's saying, I'm teaching you what I've experienced as well. And he says this. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now remember, in this moment, Paul's writing. This is um, to the churches after Jesus has died, ascended back into heaven. But at this point, the Scriptures were not the Bible as we know it. It was the Old Testament as as um, reported and documented hundreds of years prior to Jesus' birth. But things were talked about in the Old Testament, and it was of the Jewish culture for, for believers and for people to know what the Old Testament said. So he's saying, Paul is saying and reminding, hey, according, everything that the Old Testament said that we know is the Scriptures, it's coming true, and, it's, and it has come true through Jesus. So he says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, let me pause right there for a second. I think so often one of the most misunderstood things in Christianity or in church or what people think about Christians is that, hey, I know I believe this. Oh, they just believe some old ancient book that's kind of like folklore and has some cool stories in it. Or you might even be here this morning and you say, yeah, well, I believe in Jesus. I mean, he's a good person. There's some things written about him and all that kind of stuff. But there's no way, there is just no way that he died that kind of death. Okay, I'll believe that. And maybe you might even stretch it and say, I believe that he died for my sins. But for him to be dead for three days and then to come back to life, that is just crazy. That's just cra- that doesn't make any sense to me. There's no way that is plausible. Well, Paul, he wants to remind the church of what took place. And so he get, begins to unpack this. He says, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So this is after the death and burial that Jesus appeared to Cephas. Then he appeared to the twelve disciples And then verse 6, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep, some have died. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and then last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So not only does Paul remind them, hey, You want to know? Let's talk about Easter. Let's talk about Christianity. All right, let's talk about these things. Yeah, Jesus died. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. But let me prove it. Let me tell you who he showed up to see. And he appeared after his death, was buried three days later, rose from the the grave, and began to show up to people, uh, Cephas and the 12 disciples, and then to James, over 500 people began to show up and change their life. And here's the deal that, that Paul is saying. He's saying, even he showed up to me. And what he's saying is that an encounter with Jesus change, changes everything. Think about this. It changed Paul. He was killing Christians and hated Christ followers, hated church, had his doubts, had his moments. And yet he encounters Jesus in this moment And it changes everything. And that change led to Paul on these journeys, starting churches and doing amazing things and proclaiming to people, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you firsthand what Jesus did in my life. Not a go to church and do all stuff. He's saying, let me tell you my story. 
Let me tell you, I encountered Jesus, and it changed me. And let me tell you, it wasn't just me, but he appeared to this person and this person and this person and this group of people, all these other things to prove that Jesus is alive, that he wasn't dead in some grave. And so what I want to do is I want to look at these back-to-back stories in John 20, which are some, some really amazing stories of how God um, how Jesus showed up in these moments. And my prayer is this, this morning. I don't know what kind of baggage you have. I don't know what you think about church. Maybe you had a, an awful experience at church at some point in your time. I mean, who hasn't, right? And maybe you're just like, I'm not giving God a chance. But my hope and my prayer for this and our staff and our team's prayers that this morning you encounter Jesus in such a way that he meets you right where you are and he shows up in your life and that you accept this invitation to say, you know what, I want him to change my life. I want him to do something in me. Whether that's bitterness or um, a lack of forgiveness or hate or doubt or uncertainty or pain or whatever, Jesus wants to show up in this moment right now in your life. And we're going to look at some stories in John 20 after Jesus' resurrection where he begins to show up. And I'm going to tell you, every single one of us can relate to each of these stories at some time in our life. And so um, you're going to see this. You're going to be like, man, that, he shows up in a way that I, I can relate to. And it starts with this lady named Mary Magdalene in chapter 20, verse 11. Follow along. It's on the screens. But Mary, she stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stopped, or she stooped to, to uh, or no, stopped, yeah, to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white um, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So think about this. She goes to the grave, what was pretty ceremonial at the time, and maybe to burn incense or to bring spices, just to visit. Jesus had just died. I mean, her world is rocked. She goes and she is weeping. And what this says right here is that Jesus is actually showing up to the hopeless. She is hopeless in this moment. Everything that she knew about Jesus is gone. So she is weeping outside this tomb. And she says to these angels, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have put him. She's not even thinking, is he really alive? Everything that he said before, like, I don't know if that's true. I mean, she's never seen a dead person come back to life. I mean, have you? You wouldn't believe that. If I told you right now, hey, I'm going to die this afternoon. And on Wednesday, I'm going to come back to life. You would be like, you're crazy. (laughs) You need to go to a mental place, all right, or get off the drugs, okay? You would think it's nuts. And so she's just coming there for proper burial and to visit because she is heartbroken and hopeless in this moment. Now listen to what happens. So she says, hey, they've taken away um, my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing. But she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Why are, or whom are you seeking? Now, it says, supposing him to be the gardener. <laughs> Mary thought that he was the gardener. I mean, I don't know why that's funny to me. It's just funny. You know, like Jesus shows up in this moment, and she turns around, and she's like, who are you, the gardener? <laughs> you keep this place nice? 
And, she, and he even said, why are you, why are you crying? Who, who are you looking for? She's like, uh, I think you're the gardener. And then she says to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. So she's like, hey, will you just tell me? I just want proper burial ceremony in this. And Jesus said to her, don't miss the moment of this. Jesus said to her one word, Mary. He used her and called her by name, used her name in this moment. In the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of her weeping and sadness, Jesus shows up and he says, Mary. And just by him calling her name, she knows who it is. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went, and she announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said things, these things to her. So in the midst of this hopelessness, Jesus shows up, calls her by name. She recognizes his voice at that time. And, and you know, it is just an incredible moment. I think that she went to go hug him and he's like, don't cling to me yet right now, okay? Like, give me some space right now um, or whatever. But then he says, hey, why don't you go tell all the disciples of what she's seen? She goes to the disciples. She's like, you're not going to believe this. Jesus has shown up. He, I thought he was dead. I was, there was no hope in my life. And he showed up right here in this moment. And the disciples are like, what? I, I don't know if that's the case. So let's continue. Jesus also shows up not only to the hopeless, but we're going to see that Joseph, uh, Jesus shows up to the faithless. Now the disciples, think about this. They were following Jesus for about three years. When they left their careers and their families and started to follow Jesus, they experienced all kind of great things, some low points, some high points. They traveled, saw Jesus heal people. They saw, see all that. Then Jesus dies on the cross, is buried. And what do the disciples do? They're not like, okay, he said he was going to die. Let's go get this. Let's go tell people about who he is. No, they're cowards. And they go into a room. And they lock themselves into this room because they are afraid of what's going to happen. They have lost faith. And they're like, hey, if they're going to kill our leader, Jesus, they're killing us next. So let's lock ourselves in fear of the Jews. And we see that in verse 19. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, I've told the other services this. I, this is just my thinking, okay? You can think this is funny. But if I was Jesus, I don't know how Jesus appears like in this locked room. Like, I don't know if he like walks through the, the wall or if he just like shows up and says, peace be with you. But if I was Jesus, I would totally mess with the disciples right here because they're afraid, they're terrified. I would be like, peace be with you, you know? And just, y'all with me? Okay. Like, hey, I would just like scare them, but I guess, you know, that's why he's Jesus and I'm not. And he shows up and he's like, hey, peace be with you. Don't, don't be afraid in this moment. While they're just frightened about their lives, Jesus shows up. He says, do not be troubled. Peace be with you. And when he had said this, 
he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, an incredible gift right there. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So think about this. These last two stories, you, you and I, we've all had times in our life where we felt pretty hopeless, where we didn't, really didn't have faith. We, we were terrified with what was going on. Maybe it's a diagnosis in our life that was, uh, I, I, we can't even wrap our brain around it. Maybe it's a, the loss of a loved one, and we, th- we think, man, I don't know how I'm going to get past this moment in history right now. Is God really in this moment right here? And we, we really desire, if we're honest, we want Jesus to physically show up right in front of us and say, you know what, trust me. Here's my hands, touch my side, just like with the disciples here. And so often, I know, I've been guilty of this. We pray prayers like like Jesus is some kind of genie in a bottle, or we want him to do things on our terms. Like, I remember my very first prayer is, I grew up in Atlanta, so I'm a huge Braves fan. I was like, God, if you're real, if you are real, you will let the Braves win the World Series, okay? That happened once, all right? But like, I think when I prayed that, I think they lost like four times in a row or something ridiculous. You know, I'm a 90s kid. But like we do stuff like that. God, if you're real, show me a sign. If you're real, you need, you need to do this, Jesus, or I'm not believing in you. And what if, think about this. What if we have to experience the time of silence to really stretch our faith? I mean, I don't know if you've ever wondered about this Easter story. So often I think, okay, you have the cross, and I get Jesus dying on the cross for our sins on Friday, but why Saturday? I mean, why do we have to wait till Sunday for Jesus to, to come back to life? I mean, couldn't he just, like, get buried, put this tomb in, and then, like, five minutes later, he, like, rolls it away, and he's like, surprise, you know, I fooled you all type thing. But he didn't do that. There's this Saturday of silence. And of suffering, and of pain, and of faithlessness, and hopelessness, and doubt. And in that moment, I honestly believe that you and I, we have to experience that period of suffering, that season, in order to really experience the resurrection. That we have to go through the silence and the pain of Saturday to experience the resurrection on Sunday. And right here, we see Mary and now the disciples, they're in fear. They're gripped with uh, emotion. And then we come to this guy named Thomas. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know Thomas has a bad rap because in all of history, he is known as what? Doubting Thomas. Wouldn't you hate to be that guy in the Bible? You know, like that's that's your stigma. (laughs) You're doubting Thomas. Like not even like, hey, I'm a good guy, all right? You know, I'm always having to explain myself. But Jesus shows up to doubting Thomas. Listen to his words next in verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He wasn't with the disciples in that room. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, get this, he said to them, and I think maybe some of you might be struggling with this idea this morning. 
Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He says, until I see it for myself, I'm never going to believe. His heart was at that point. And while, think about it, he experienced all these incredible things of Jesus. And then in this moment, he says, until I can touch and I can see Jesus, I will not believe. Some of us, we struggle with that. That's part of our lives. We say, you know what? I was burned. I don't believe in this whole thing. I'm just here because my parents made me or my friends invited me. But in this moment, Thomas says, you know what? Until I see it for myself, I'll never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, here, here comes Jesus again. Jesus came, and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. All right, no, he didn't say that, okay? I just, it would be awesome, though. You, you know you're with, you're with me, but he says, peace be with you. Then I love this. He goes to Thomas, and he says to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hands and put out your hand and place it on my side. I love this. This is so powerful. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. I love this. Jesus, Jesus wasn't there when the disciples told Thomas they had seen Jesus. He didn't know of the conversation. Um, at, well, he wasn't present for the conversation of, hey, I'm not going to believe this. But Jesus knew. So when he first comes up and he says, hey, don't be afraid. I, I see you guys are locked up in this room again. Thomas, come here. Look for yourself. See the piercings in my hands? Touch them. See my side where I was stabbed? Put, stretch out your hand. I want you to touch it. You, you, you know Thomas in that moment had to be like, like, what is going on right here? But Jesus showed up to the doubting. In that doubt, Jesus showed up and he said, you know what? I'm going to show you who I am. Touch and feel. And then finally, in closing, Jesus showed up to the failures. I know many of us probably feel this way. A lot of times that we don't have what it takes. Jesus couldn't love someone like us. We're just, our lives are messed up, full of failures. Peter was Jesus's pretty much right-hand man. And if you remember in Scripture, there was a time where Jesus was about to start his ministry. He has the disciples gathered and says, hey, who are people saying that I am? And they're like, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. And he looks to this guy named Peter and he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. The very first time that any of the disciples proclaimed who Jesus was correctly. Peter was the same guy that if you remember in the middle of a storm, the disciples were on the boat and a ghost came and Jesus once again says, hey, don't be afraid. It's me. And Peter says, if that's really you, Jesus, let me get out of this boat and walk to you. He has the faith to do that while the rest of the disciples were a bunch of pansies and they were hiding in the boat. Peter gets out and walks to Jesus. So that same Peter, that was Jesus' right-hand man. If you remember, after his arrest, during this time, 
Jesus already predicted, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no, I'm not. I love you, and I will die for you. He says, no, you're going to deny me three times. And we see it ends up happening. Hey, aren't you the guy that follows Jesus? No, not me. And he does that three different times. And Jesus said, you're going to do it before the rooster crows. And the rooster crows, and it hit Peter. He's like, man, I did. I did exactly what Jesus said. And so you can imagine, he just felt like a failure. He let Jesus down. And Jesus shows up in that failure in verse 15. He says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. But this he said to show by what kind of death he was to um, glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, he said to Peter, follow me. Follow me. And so in the midst of hopelessness, Jesus showed up. In the midst of a lack of faith or faithlessness, Jesus showed up. In the midst of doubting, Jesus showed up. In the midst of failure, Jesus showed up. And if he hasn't already shown up in your life, he wants to show up right where you are. He wants to show up in your pain today. He wants to show up in your doubt, in your skepticism, in your hurt, in your uncertainty, in your questions. Jesus wants to show up just as he did then. He wants to show up now. And when Jesus shows up, he doesn't just change your life. He becomes your life. That's what happened to Paul. It wasn't just like, oh, Jesus showed up and that's pretty awesome. And now I'm good to go. I can get to heaven. Man, Paul, all of a sudden, after he encountered Jesus, when Jesus showed up, he had a new plan, new purpose in life, a new mission in life. And Jesus showed up in that moment. And if Jesus can show up to a guy named Paul, who is a Christian killer, he can show up in your life. And he wants to do that. Are you willing to accept the invitation? As as Jesus said to Peter, follow me. And if that's you this morning, if you just are wrestling with doubts, man, one, I would love to talk to you. Not to try to convince you of anything other than Jesus is alive and shows up and does amazing things. And before I realized who Jesus was, man, I was the biggest skeptic. I thought it was weird, thought it was fake. None of that stuff is true. But when I encountered Jesus, he changed my life. And there's a lot of people in this room, you would say the same thing. But maybe you're here and he, you're like, you know what? He's never really, I want him to show up in my life. I want him to show up in my hurt and my doubt and my pain. Today can be that day. Today can be the day that you say, you know what? I don't know all this stuff. I have a lot of questions. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm still going to struggle with some doubts. But I need Jesus to change my life. I want him to show up. And if that's you this morning, you, you're more than welcome. I'll be down here at the front of this next song. You come talk to me. We won't do anything embarrassing. I'm not going to bring you on stage or anything like that. But we just have talk. We can pray. If not, if you don't feel comfortable with that, we can talk after service or connect in the weeks to come. But let this be a day 
that Jesus changes your life. And he shows up, and this is a stake in the ground, a marker to say, you know what? He showed up in my life today. Let's pray together. Father, that is our desire for you to show up. We need you. And we are just like the people we read about that. God, we struggle with our faith, our doubt, our uncertainty. We have skepticism in our hearts and our minds. We're just not really sure if we can believe this whole thing. And Jesus, what I love is that as we see in your word, you didn't just show up to just a few people. But you showed up to over 500 different people who are experiencing and grieving and processing things in a total different way. And as you showed up, you, you, you were right there in the midst of hurt and pain and skepticism. And so, Father, I pray that you show up today in the life of somebody who needs you, that has never given their life to you. Father, that you show up in their life that maybe you've just been speaking to their hearts and just kind of pricking their hearts over the last few minutes to say, you know what, that's me. I'm dealing with some hurt. I'm dealing with some pain. I need Jesus to show up right now. And I just pray that in the midst of this last song, God, they would take an opportunity to talk to me or just reach out to you, Father, the great healer, and say, God, I need you. Show up in my life. No strings attached, just complete surrender to you. And God, that's why we celebrate today. We celebrate today because of the blood that was shed for us and the grave that was conquered, death that was defeated, and that you, God, are a living God who shows up in our lives continually. So let us recognize those things and worship you now in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand as we close and worship together.